His pencil wavered above the sales ledger, dipping towards the page as his statements increased in vigor. The pencil tip skimming the pad, then pulling up like a stunt plane, only to plunge at moments of emphasis, producing a constellation of increasingly blunt dots around the lone entry for that morning. The sale of one used copy of Land Snails of Britain by A.G. Brunt Coppel. Price, £3.50. Take the revolution, he called out from the front of the bookshop. The French see it completely differently than we do. They aren't taught it was all chaos and reign of terror. For them, it was a good thing. And you can't blame them. Knocking down the Bastille, the Declaration of Rights. The thrust of his argument was that, when considering the French people and their rebellious spirit, well, it wasn't clear what Fogg intended to say. He was a man who formed opinions as he spoke them, or perhaps afterwards, requiring him to ramble at length to grasp what he believed. This made speech an act of discovery for him. Others did not necessarily share this view. His voice resounded between bookcases, down the three steps at the rear of the shop, where his employer, Thule Zilberberg, in tweed blazer, muddy jeans, rubber boots, was trying to read. Mmm, she responded, a battered biography of Anne Boleyn open on her lap. She could have asked Fogg to shush, and he would have obliged, but he reveled in pronouncing on grand issues like the man of consequence he most certainly was not. It endeared Fogg to her, especially since his oration masked considerable self-doubt. Whenever she challenged him, he folded immediately. Poor Fogg. Her sympathy for the man qualified him to chatter, but it made reading impossible. Because, after all, the fellow who invented the guillotine was a man of medicine, he continued, restoring books to the shelves, riffling their pages to kick forth the old paper aroma, which he inhaled before pushing each volume flush into its slot. Down the three creaking steps he came, passing under the sign History, Nature, Poetry, Military, Ballet, to a sunken den known as the Snug. The bookshop had been a pub before, and the Snug was where rain-drenched drinkers once hung their socks by the hearth, now bricked up, but still flanked with tongs and bellows, festooned with little green and red Welsh flags and toby jugs on hooks. An oak table contained photographic volumes on the region, while the walls were lined with shelves of poetry and a disintegrating hardcover series of Shakespeare, whose red spines had so faded that to distinguish King Lear from Macbeth required much scrutiny. Either of these venerable characters, dormant on the overburdened shelves, could at any moment have crashed down into the rocking chair where Thule sat upon a tartan blanket, which came in handy during winters, when the radiators trembled at the task ahead and switched off. She tucked back her short black hair, points curling around unpierced lobes, a grey pencil tip poking up behind her ear. The paperback she held before her aimed to discourage his interruptions, but behind its cover her cheeks twitched with amusement at the circling fog and his palpable exertion at remaining quiet. He strode around the table, hands in his trouser pockets, jingling change. Coins were always plummeting through holes in those pockets, down his leg and into his shoe. Towards the end of the day, he removed it, sock coming half off, and emptied a small fortune into his palm. It behooves them to act decisively in Afghanistan, he said. It behooves them to. She lowered the book and looked at him, which caused Fogg to turn away. 
At 28, he was her junior by only a few years, but the gulf could have been 28 again. He remained a youth in their exchanges, deferential yet soon carried away with fanciful talk. When pontificating, he toyed with a brass magnifying glass, pressed it to his eye socket like a monocle, which produced a monstrous blue eye, until he lost courage, lowered the lens, and the eye became small and blinky once more.